Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Previously on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. You're listening to episode 61 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. In this episode, we'll be presenting the evidence about the Betty and Barney Hill UFO incident. They became the subject of the first widely reported UFO abduction in the United States. We were driving along Route 3. We saw what looked like a bright star. If you were looking at a large uh, military plane or at any commercial airliner, this is the size of it as the series of windows were around it. This is how huge it was. I got to get my gun. So where do we go from here? Next week, we'll evaluate the evidence, and I'll propose what I think really happened. You're listening to Episode 62 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we'll be evaluating the evidence about the Betty and Barney Hill UFO incident. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, last week we presented the evidence regarding the Betty and Barney Hill UFO abduction, and uh, Jimmy laid out the story as it unfolded, and now we're going to evaluate that evidence, and Jimmy will reveal what he thinks really happened. And that's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. So, Jimmy, let's start with a quick recap of the evidence. What can you tell us? So, 58 years ago, on the night of Tuesday, September 19th, and the morning of Wednesday, September 20th, in 1961, Betty and Barney Hill were returning to their home in New Hampshire from a vacation in Canada. They saw what at first they thought was a star, but it moved in the sky in a way stars don't. Eventually, they stopped to examine it with binoculars, and it had come close enough that they could see it was a structured craft with rows of lighted windows. Barney Hill even said he saw crewmen through the windows. He panicked, thinking they might be captured, and they drove home. Some days later, Betty started having nightmares about them being abducted and taken aboard the craft where medical experiments were performed on them. This was something neither of them remembered, consciously remembered happening. Just over two years later, both of them underwent a series of hypnotic regressions in which they repeated the same story about being abducted with only minor variations in detail. Their story subsequently became famous, and a wave of stories about similar UFO abductions followed. All right. Those are the basic facts. And folks, if you haven't already heard our previous episode, number 61, 
or if you need a refresher on those facts, go back and listen to it, because what we'll be covering in this episode depends on what we covered there. So you'll, you'll want to be familiar with that. So, Jimmy, what are the theories about this? The main theories fall into two classes. The first are naturalistic explanations, and the second are exotic explanations. In terms of naturalistic explanations of that would account for the Hills story, well, it could be a hoax. Uh, they could just be lying. It could be a hallucination. It could be a misidentification of something conventional, like a star, a satellite, or an aircraft. Or it could be, you know, maybe a military aircraft of some kind that was classified or something like that, an experimental one. Then there are the exotic explanations, the most prominent of, prominent of which is the idea it was aliens, because it's always aliens. It's always aliens. Other possible exotic explanations include, well, maybe if they're not aliens, maybe they're time travelers, maybe they're interdimensional beings, maybe they're from a hidden civilization that, you know, lives underwater or inside the earth, or maybe it's demons because it's, it's always, always demons. <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, speaking of demons, what can we say about this from the faith perspective? Well, unless it's demons, and I don't personally think it is demons, there's not a lot to say about the faith perspective here. I don't think it's demons because, for a variety of reasons, the chief one is we don't we don't have to go that far. There's another more plausible explanation that we'll get to, so we don't need to involve that theory. Also, these guys, you know, didn't do anything to try to undermine the Hill's faith or anything like that. But if you want to know more about the theological implications of the existence of intelligent aliens, go back and listen to episode 55, which is, uh, I'm sure, now going to be one of our classic episodes because we and we'll regularly point back to it in the future because it deals with what would it mean theologically from the faith perspective if there were intelligent aliens. Then what can we say about this from the reason perspective? Let's start with what are the idea that the Hills could have simply been hoaxers. I don't think they were hoaxers. Barney didn't come across as a hoaxer in the radio interview we heard in the previous episode. He was very matter of fact. He didn't sound like he was trying to dupe anybody. Dr. Simon, who was one of their psychiatrists who hypnotized him, he and other people who spoke to them thought the Hills were sincere. The emotion that they displayed under hypnosis seemed quite genuine, like they were really afraid. But there's even a more important reason why I think they weren't hoaxers. They paid for all those psychiatry sessions for months. In private correspondence, Betty even talks about how expensive it was. So right. if you're a hoaxer, I don't think you're going to be shelling out the big bucks to pay a psychiatrist for months in that situation, especially if you're both working public service jobs in the 1960s. Right. There's no motivation to spend all that money. Then yeah. uh, what about the idea that they hallucinated it? Unlikely if by hallucination you mean a real-time hallucination as the event occurred. Real-time group hallucinations don't exist. A, an individual person may have a hallucination, but the person standing next to them, if they are hallucinating, is not going to be hallucinating the exact same thing. Okay. What about the idea that they, they misidentified something like a star or a satellite or a conventional aircraft? Well, it's possible that they initially saw a star, a satellite, or a conventional aircraft at an early stage, but not at the later, more close-up stage of the encounter. 
Um, in fact, they could have seen several of these things in the early portion of their experience under the effects of sleep deprivation, which apparently they'd been driving for 21 hours at this point. They may have confusedly thought that different things they saw were actually a single object following them. And in fact, in the show notes, we'll have a link to an analysis of local things they might have seen. There's a guy who uh, lives near where in the same area that the encounter occurred, and he investigated several things in the area that they might have seen lights in the darkness, like the top of a radio tower and stuff that match up quite well with some of the things they reported seeing. So you have a local insider perspective on that. What I haven't seen a good explanation for, though, is when they both saw the object close enough through binoculars to see that it had rows of lighted windows and other features like red lights on both ends of the object. It wasn't configured like any conventional aircraft, and it didn't move like a conventional aircraft. It was silent and hovering, and they didn't hear any noise, even when it's just, according to them, hovering 100 feet up in the air. So that's not a conventional aircraft. It's not a helicopter. It's not a normal plane. Certainly not anything from the early 60s. Yeah. And speaking of a, people who are familiar with the New England and how far Montreal and Niagara Falls were from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, today they'd say 21 hours. Why would that be? Well, remember, this is before the interstate highway system. It took a lot longer to drive on these roads, these country roads, than it did today. And there are no good east-west highways in New England. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and these were like little two-lane roads yeah. uh, out in the boonies. And in fact, the Hills said for hours they didn't see any other cars. Yes, then that it's not much different today. So uh, what about the idea that it was a military aircraft? It's possible this would fit with the fact that Barney apparently initially understood the crewmen as humans. And in fact, he first thought it was some kind of military thing or other con or other normal aircraft. But it's surprising that we haven't had this kind of aircraft declassified in the last 60 years, if that's what it was. You could say, well, it was an experimental craft and the project got canceled. But still, we would expect similar aircraft to be declassified at some point. And this doesn't sound like anything that... I can think of that's been declassified. So, and we've it, had other, yeah, aircraft from that yeah. era declassified. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's possible, but it doesn't sound like anything they were working on back then. All right, so let's get into the exotic things. What about the idea it was aliens or one of the other exotic explanations? This is also possible, but we need to look at the evidence and see if it conclusively points to anything exotic. Many of the arguments that have been made for an exotic explanation actually are not conclusive. Like what? Let's start with the missing time that they allegedly experienced. What happened that night has always had a vague timetable. Their watches were either broken or ran down, meaning they couldn't keep track of time. They drove slowly and made multiple stops. We don't know how many stops they made or how long the stops were for. Their various accounts of the evening contain inconsistent times, and all of this makes it impossible to reconstruct a reliable timeline for the evening. Uh, also, the Hills themselves didn't notice any missing time when they got back. I mean, they thought, oh, we got back a little later than we planned, but they didn't notice anything missing. It was only after ufologists started talking to them 
and asking them to account for every moment in the evening that they realized they couldn't. But by that point, you know, it was a long time later and their memories wouldn't wouldn't be sharp of exactly what they did and how many stops they made and how long it was at each stop and stuff. So what about the star map that Marjorie Fish was able to explain in terms of local stars like Zeta Reticuli? Well, one point that this map has in its favor is that it shows stars linked by routes. For example, from your home star, you'd go to another and then on to another, presumably refueling or something at the way station. And that's realistic. That conserves energy. Uh, it's like island hopping across the Pacific. You, mm-hmm. Unless you've got a really big gas tank in your plane, you don't just hop from one island to a very distant one. You stop off in the middle for refueling. And that actually is, since the map is structured as a series of routes like that, that's actually a mark in, in favor of it. That's a, that, that has some credibility to it. Um, however... Betty's claim that the alien leader couldn't show her his home system if she didn't know where Earth is on this map is nonsense. I can point to a location on a map and say, we're currently here. And then I can point to another location and say, and over here is where I come from. So the idea that he just said, well, if you don't know where you are on this map, I can't help you. That's just that's just not not true. But here's my biggest problem with the map. Since hypnosis isn't a magical memory enhancer, it is very unlikely that Betty could remember the details of the map more than two years later after briefly examining it. At best, she would be able to remember a general shape but of the routes, but she'd misremember the positions of some of the dots and routes. Setting aside the background stars, which she apparently just drew for purposes of illustration, there are 12 stars linked by routes on the map in an expanding tree-like pattern. But Betty couldn't realistically remember the details of the tree structure two or three years later after having just looked at it briefly. She would almost certainly get some of the farther branches wrong. You know, like if you look at a, at a tree diagram you're not going to remember exactly all of the branches two years later. You're going to come up with something that's a general impression of a tree diagram, but you're not going to get the details accurate. That means Marjorie Fish would be using false data in her star mapping project, thus very unlikely that she came up with anything that was more than a coincidence. Also, various astronomers have indicated that many such matches are possible. In fact, at least five other solutions have been proposed besides Marjorie Fish's. One involving the constellation Pegasus was even included in the 1966 book, The Interrupted Journey. One thing I want to mention with the hypnosis and in magical memory enhancer is there's a popular concept. And we talked about this in the episode recently on hypnosis, but it's sort of like this accepted popular belief that hypnosis can do all these magical things. And as you told us in that episode, hypnosis doesn't do those things that TV and movies have told us it can do. So uh, yeah. that's that's something important to, to keep in mind. So yeah. what about we'll, the? We'll talk about hip, we'll talk about hypnosis more a bit a bit later on. Yes. Uh, so what about the magnetic circles they found on their car afterward? Are, are those proof that something exotic happened? The Hills thought that the two sets of beeping that they heard may have been somehow linked to the magnetic spots they found on the trunk of their car. 
it's been suggested that a device of some kind was attached to the car and may have helped put the hills in some kind of <laughs> there's a little Voyager reference for you. Yes. Put them in some kind of suggestible or memory altering state since the beeping happened before and after the abduction. On the other hand, some have suggested that these were just spots caused by light rain on September 20th, but that doesn't fit either with the fact that they were described as being the size of silver dollars because light rain won't do that, or with the fact that they apparently lasted for over a month. It's also been suggested that the beeping, which the Hills associated with their car vibrating, may have been caused by a rough patch or rough patches in the road or, you know, corrugations in the road, like they sometimes have to tell people to slow down, or by their trunk not being properly closed. You remember Barney went back to the trunk to get his twenty two caliber pistol. And here's what Carl Flock, and, and he's a supporter of the idea that they were abducted. Carl Flock thinks they were abducted. But here's what he wrote in his paper in the book Encounters at Indian Head. After the second series of beeps, Barney wondered out loud if something might be shifting in the car. He even tried to re reproduce it by speeding up, slowing down, and weaving a bit without apparent success. He and Betty eventually connected the odd sounds with their trance-like state and control or tracking of their actions by the aliens. However, there is another possibility. Discussing the beeps during her November 1963 remarks to the, to the UFO study group, Betty mentioned that when she and Barney got home, they discovered the car's trunk lid was closed but not latched. It will be recalled that shortly before the first close encounter began, Barney was fearful enough to retrieve a twenty-two pistol from the trunk. In his fearful state of mind, Barney may well have failed to close the trunk lid with enough force to latch it. The bouncing of the lowered but not locked lid as the car traversed rough spots in the road might have been the source of the sounds and vibrations, or beeps, which the Hills consistently described as coming from the rear of their vehicle. Their noticing the sound vibrations when they did would be sharply remembered in the first instance because of its coincidental timing with the clearly terrifying close encounter, and in the second, because it harked back to the first. It's those same weird sounds again. Yeah, so even though they later, like in the radio interview, described them as beeping, on other occasions they talked about it as vibrating. And here, uh, what Carl Flock points out is that at their first thought when they heard these noises was maybe something is shifting in the back of the car. So Barney tries weaving and slowing up and speeding down to reproduce it. And then when they get home, Betty discovers the trunk is not fully closed. So all of that suggests maybe... It was the trunk lid and 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 interaction with the road that produced these noises. And it's possible that um, eventually they hit they they hit a bump that they bounced hard enough that the lid became more secure. It's still not completely secure, but more secure. And that's why the noises didn't keep happening. That leaves us with the with the magnetic spots. Now, if those were real, it would be physical evidence that something extraordinary happened. Uh, one reason is that without current flowing through the metal of the trunk lid, a compass needle wouldn't spin. You need a changing magnetic field caused, caused by flowing currents to make a needle spin like that. This could be reason to doubt at least some of the claims about the spots, like the spinning needle. Uh, it could be 
that the needle didn't really spin. It was just attracted to different spots that had been strongly magnetized. What caused that? Well, it could have been an alien beeping machine or could have been something else. Unfortunately, we can't study this today. The fact that several people, including Kathleen Marden, uh, Betty's niece, were were witnesses of these spots suggests that they were real and something odd could have happened, but it's not conclusive proof. What about the ring of warts that Barney found? Is that physical evidence of anything exotic? His doctors didn't seem to consider it unusual. Warts can develop in the groin area, and the ring formation could have just been a coincidence. Or, speculatively, and I don't know if this happens, but it could have been related to a ring-like infection, like ringworm, which does indeed form ring-like patterns. In any event, his memory under hypnosis of the cup being placed on his groin could have been prompted by the warts rather than the other way around, because he wasn't hypnotized until after the warts appeared. What about Betty's dress and the pink pottery substance she found on it? Does that provide physical evidence of anything exotic? A proposal is that this was some kind of fast-growing mold that appeared on the dress where the aliens touched her. And it would have had to be really fast-growing because they had only allegedly touched her a few hours before. Unfortunately, the powder apparently blew away when the dress was on the clothesline. But there were stains on the dress, and these have been analyzed. There were also tears on the dress, and it's been suggested that these were produced by the aliens, who reportedly had trouble with the zipper. However, none of this is conclusive. Betty could have torn the dress in some way and not noticed it at the time. Also, it was a brand new dress. She'd never worn it before, and so she may have not noticed a tear by the zipper on her back when she bought it. The pink powder could have been pollen. You know, they were out in the woods walking around. They walked the dog and they had these stops and stuff. She could have brushed up against something, you know, a bunch of flowers or something. I've done that. I remember I was on a trip once to Kentucky and I got back in my truck and I was wearing a duster at the time, you know, one of those long coats. And I looked and it's like, where did all of this pollen and these bees come from? I (laughs) must have brushed up against something you know, a flower bed without really realizing it when I stopped or the, you know, it could have been something else besides pollen. Analyses of the stains on the dress have not turned up any isotopes that aren't native to our star system. And I don't even know if such tests have even been run on the dress, but we don't have proof of any extrasolar matter here. The analyses that have been run showed things like sulfur and sodium and possibly traces of chlorides and silicon. Other analyses suggest something biological in nature, but even though they've done DNA testing, no bizarre DNA has been found. So no alien DNA has been identified from the dress. So you don't see any conclusive proof of an exotic explanation? No, but I think there's another possibility that we need to consider. And what's that? Well, first, let's note how the Hill's story changes over time. The first version of the story on record is just that they saw an object in the sky. Technically, the first version of the story, as reported to the Air Force, doesn't even mention the occupants of the craft, though the Hills said they didn't mention that just because they thought it was too strange to report, because people at the time were really hesitant to talk about crewmen on UFOs. Then... Betty starts having dreams about an abduction. 
Then they both undergo hypnosis and new details emerge, including the crewmen's becoming less human. Now, you could explain these changes in their story the way the Hills did, as repressed memories that are coming out over time. I can't eliminate that possibility because even today, we have drugs that cause amnesia. For example, there's a drug called Versed. It's also known as midazolam, and it's used to stop memory formation during procedures that people may not want to remember. So like if they're going to do something painful to you or frightening to you, but they want you conscious for it, they'll give you Versed so you don't remember it later. I have actually had Versed when I had my cataracts removed uh, in both eyes. They gave me Versed so I wouldn't remember the procedure, but they apparently didn't give me enough because Ooh. I remember both procedures really well. Uh, (laughs) And it actually wasn't that frightening, although during the second procedure, I did notice the emotional temperature in the in the surgery center was rising and the optical surgeon was stomping on uh, on repeatedly on one of the devices that they were using to extract the cataract after they shattered it with ultrasound and turned out later and it went on really long and it turned out later that cataract had existed for so long that it was produced this sticky gumminess that was gumming up their machine and they were having trouble sucking it out and they were afraid they were going to have to abort oh oh boy oh boy i I wouldn't remember it was fine (laughs) okay So, you know, aliens might have a souped up way of blocking memories and it might not be perfect, allowing the memories to revert, to reemerge. But it's not a good sign when a story changes over time, becoming more elaborate and more fantastic. So what was originally just seeing something in the sky becomes we got abducted by aliens. Are there other reasons to be skeptical of the story changing? Yeah, if you look at the way it changes. According to the initial accounts, Barney panicked and thought they were going to be captured if they didn't escape. Then, days later, Betty starts having nightmares about being captured. Now, those could be repressed memories emerging. You know, post-traumatic stress disorder victims do sometimes relive their trauma in dreams. But it could also be her subconscious visualizing a fear that Barney suggested to her, you know, so he suggests, hey, we're going we're gonna to get captured if we don't get out of here. They get out of there. And then her subconscious starts processing that suggestion and visualizing what it would be like to have been abducted. And of course, we all know that dreaming is a state highly prone to confabulated content. In fact, it's dominated by confabulated content. And that's why we're biologically programmed not to remember our dreams most of the time. So our memories don't fill up with unreal stuff that never happened. Betty then starts telling people about her dreams and Barney overhears them. But Barney has an anxiety disorder and he starts ruminating about what might have happened to him. When Barney seeks treatment for his anxiety, the two get put under hypnosis If you want to know what I think about hypnosis, go back and listen to episode 52 of the show. If you've heard that, uh, listeners will know that I'm skeptical about a lot of the claims made for hypnosis. Uh, For example, I don't think it works miracles with pain relief that go beyond what you can do just by relaxing and saying, I'm not going to let this bug me. Consider, for example, this quotation from Kathleen Marden and Stanton Friedman's book, Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. 
Hypnotic suggestibility scales had been devised as a means of determining the extent to which a subject responds to hypnosis. Although they consist of various measures for each stage of induction, the first stage is usually determined by the subject's compliance with a simple task, such as imagining the force of a heavy weight held in one's hand. If the subject's arm lowers, he or she has reached level one. The suggestion that a subject will not experience pain when a needle is inserted into his or her arm signifies the attainment of a deep trance level. Okay, so the suggestion that a subject will not experience pain when a needle is inserted into his or her arm signifies the attainment of a deep trance level. Wow. Now, (laughs) I have some experience with shots because I have a genetic defect that prevents me from processing certain vitamins as well as I should orally. So my doctor has prescribed that I take vitamin shots and I administer them to myself regularly. But almost every time I feel little or no pain. So apparently without trying or even intending to (laughs) place myself in a deep trance level, that's whatever I that's that's something I just apparently automatically do. I automatically hypnotize myself to a deep trance level without even trying whenever I give myself a shot in the arm using one of those big intramuscular injection needles. Okay. <laughs> so I, I think that this is overblown. You don't really need to be in a deep trance to not experience notable pain when you take a shot. I think that in most cases... Hypnosis does not involve a true altered state of consciousness. It's a social role that we learn to play where you just relax, concentrate, and follow instructions. Uh, And I'm very skeptical of memories allegedly recovered under hypnosis. Hypnosis gives you permission to visualize what might have happened in the past, but hypnotically regressed subjects are then told that what they visualize are genuine memories, and they end up believing that imagined things are realities. So here we have two processes involved in the Hill's account, dreaming from Betty's dreams, and then hypnosis. Both of these processes are known to promote confabulation rather than genuine memory recall. This raises the possibility that the Hills may have seen something in the sky, but their memories of the abduction were produced by confabulation in dreams and hypnosis. And this especially applies when there are reasons to doubt what the Hills reported coming out of these two processes. Are there reasons to doubt the story that the Hills told as a result of Betty's dreams and their hypnosis? Yes, though some of them aren't that significant. For example, Barney thought he saw the crewmen pulling levers on a panel in the back wall of the craft. Now, I find it hard to imagine aliens would be pulling levers to control a ship like this. I think they'd have a better user interface than that. Levers are pretty low tech. But I don't think that's significant because Barney could have just interpreted them as pulling levers when he saw them manipulating whatever user interface they really had to control their craft. So I don't think the fact he saw low-tech levers on a high-tech craft is that significant. It's also, and this is another inconclusive reason to doubt what they said, but it's also been pointed out that just before Barney was first hypnotized, so this is after the abduction, but before the hypnosis, 
an episode of The Outer Limits called The Bellero Shield had aired. And it featured an alien from another dimension who had a big bald head and large wraparound depressions around its eyes, similar to what Barney sketched. Also in the episode, the alien learned language by watching people's eyes, and Barney thought the alien was speaking to him through his eyes somehow. But what happened with the alien's eyes in the Bellero Shield is actually the opposite of what Barney reported, in that the alien was learning English by watching people's eyes, not talking to people through his eyes, which is what Barney thought he was experiencing kind of telepathically or something. More fundamentally, Betty indicated that they weren't science fiction fans and had not seen The Outer Limits. And you don't have to appeal to the Bellero Shield to explain a bug-eyed alien. There were already images of big, bald-headed aliens with strange eyes in comic books and movies. For example, Google has a, a service called Ingram, and it, the letter N and then Gram that lets you track word and phrase usage over time. It generates a graph based on scanning all kinds of, I don't know, millions of documents from history. It lets you chart how popular words and phrases were in particular periods. And if you go to Google Ingram and look up bug-eyed monsters, it shows it was already in use in the 1940s and spiked just before 1960, right before the encounter. So that was... The conceptualizing aliens as bug-eyed monsters was already there. Also, Little Green Men actually goes back to the 1820s, hmm. and, it, and it was also growing in popularity between 1940 and 1960. So I don't consider the argument that the Outer Limits influenced the Hills story to be particularly strong. One thing that's been suggested as casting doubt on their story is the claim that, well, the aliens were surprised and had trouble understanding Barney's false teeth. You know, like, why would aliens be so confused by that? Well, it could be because none of them have false teeth. But even if they... I, I can see to where if they discovered Barney had removable teeth, they might then go check and see, oh, does Betty have removable teeth also? And she may have just misremembered or misinterpreted how surprised they were at the fact her teeth weren't removable. That could just be an interpretation issue, but it seems reasonable to me that if they find one of their humans has removable teeth, you might check to see if the other one does too. On the other hand, I think there are significant reasons to doubt elements of the abduction story as Betty reported it. First, it is highly unlikely, given the alien's obvious desire to do this in secret, that the alien leader would just invite Betty to look around and find something she could take as proof of their encounter. <laughs> right. That seems very implausible. Second, it is unlikely that the aliens would be taking up space on their ship with physical books instead of electronic storage media. The closest thing I could imagine, I mean, you know, I could imagine they would have like computers that would have display systems, either 2D or 3D, where they could retrieve information. The most I would think they would have would be like a Kindle or an iPad in terms of a handheld storage medium. But I think it's really unlikely that they would have a physical book or that the aliens would let her take their alien iPad right. with her. 
because that's not only giving proof of an encounter, that's giving a new technology that can be reverse engineered. Third, I think it's unlikely that, as Betty reported, an argument would break out among the crew and reverse the decision to let Betty take the book. I think the aliens, given their obvious desire for secrecy, since they're doing all of this covertly and making people forget, I think they would have clear policies in place before they start a covert abduction mission that says, don't give anything to the locals. <laughs> right. So I think all of that content is very suspicious and gives us reason to doubt what Betty remembered via dreaming and hypnosis. Okay, Jimmy. So then what is your bottom line on the Betty and Barney Hill UFO incident? I think that Betty and Barney Hill were not hoaxers. They wouldn't have paid for all that psychiatry if they were. I think they likely saw something in the sky and that possibly could have been an experimental military aircraft or, for all I know, an alien one. Or, you know, maybe it was a sighting of something else that was natural. I think it is unlikely that they were actually abducted. It's more likely that Barney's fear of being captured triggered Betty's dreams, which then became part of a feedback loop with Barney's anxieties, and hypnosis gave them permission to imagine an abduction that we have reason to be suspicious of, given its contents. This is, now that's the theory I developed on my own, but in researching this episode, it's also the theory that their own psychiatrist, Dr. Benjamin Simon of Boston, ended up coming to. In a 1975 interview, he talked about this. Uh, I've compressed his remarks for time, but this is what he said. They gave exactly the same story up to that point of the sighting of the so-called UFO. Betty's story went on with a fantastic story of having been taken aboard. She described Barney as with his eyes closed, as sort of suspended between two men who were half-dragging him along to the same vehicle. Betty's experiences were far more vivid. Everything that Barney had said, which was very little about that abduction, was in Betty's story. She saw it. She saw him being dragged away and all that. And I remembered that when they first saw me, uh, Betty had had these dreams, these nightmarish dreams. Well, that gave me an answer at that point, that uh, this fantastic story uh, was uh, her dreams. And therefore, we could fit that uh, very well with reality. So I was satisfied. I didn't have to look any further for an explanation. Now, one final note about this. Uh, because the Betty and Barney Hill encounter was a pivotal case in UFO history, to the extent that others report abductions that mirror the Hill abduction, we have reason to be suspicious of them also. Uh, what, do any of those rise to the level of deserving their own uh, show, or is that pretty oh, much we'll, covered? We'll have, we'll have future episodes on abductions. Okay, yeah. good, good. Uh, all right. So uh, that's our bottom line. Jimmy, uh, you mentioned some resources on this last week, and do, you might have some more yeah. this time. Yes. Uh, some of these resources are ones we mentioned last time. There are some new ones as well, based on things we talked about in this episode. But one of the best books on this is Carl Flock's 2007 book, Encounters at Indian Head, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Abduction Revisited. That's the symposium book where you have contributors from multiple perspectives, both skeptics and believers, uh, making their cases. So that's a really good one to get multiple sides of the story. 
if you want a book length treatment of the idea they were abducted that endorses the abduction theory, then you want to get Kathleen Marden and Stanton Friedman's 2007 book, Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. You could also get John Fuller's 1966 book, The Interrupted Journey, even though it's somewhat outdated at this point. Kathleen Marden, Betty's niece, has a website on the abduction. We'll have a link to that. You can also watch the Outer Limits episode, The Bellarose Shield. It's on Amazon Prime. And I watched it as part of the I've I like the Outer Limits. I haven't seen every episode yet, but I went back and I watched this one as research for this episode. So you can watch it for yourself and see how much you think it may or may not have had an influence on this story. Also, we'll have a link to Wikipedia's entry on Betty and Barney Hill, to Betty's original hand-drawn star map, and to Marjorie Fish's interpretation of the star map. We'll have Barney's original hand-drawn sketch of the alien leader wearing a cap and a painting of the alien made with the Hill's input. Also, if you don't want to watch the Bellarose Shield or don't have access to it on Amazon, we'll have a link to a picture of the alien from the Bellarose Shield. And just to illustrate that big-headed, weird-eyed aliens <laughs> were already in the culture, we'll have a link to a movie poster for the 1957 movie Invasion of the Saucer Men, which, you know, was before this and also had big-headed, weird-eyed aliens. Finally, we'll have a summary of James McDonald's analysis of things the Hills could have seen in the local area. James McDonald is a guy who lives right in the area where the encounter occurred, and he identified a number of local features that they could have seen in the darkness and interpreted as part of their account. And so we'll have a summary of that, and then we'll also have a full the full text of his analysis of what they might have seen locally. All right. That's great. That's the Betty and Barney Hill UFO incident, uh, as complete as we can offer it. This, uh, So let's talk about some of our mysterious feedback. Okay. Uh, this time we're talking about feedback from the uh, the Manson murders that we recently did, uh, episode we did. Kelly on Facebook says, fascinating episode. I knew of the Manson murders, but I never knew the extent of the family's activities. I really appreciate that Jimmy and Dom didn't go into the gory details of the murders, but kept it clinical, as Jimmy said they would. Yeah, and that's something that's part of our commitment to you, is when we do true crime, we are not going to get gory about it. We will keep things at, in, in a very clinical mode, in part because, you know, a lot of adults don't want to hear about the gory details, but especially because it's turned out, to my surprise and uh, and pleasure, that actually a lot of parents let their children listen to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. So we will not be gory when we do true crime stories. Yes. Tammy on Facebook writes, another great show. I also appreciate the lack of gory details. Well done. Your info about the meaning of a helter skelter in Britain was new to me. And bizarrely, as I was listening to the podcast, I clicked on my BBC News app and this story popped up. Had to share, especially with it being in a church, which I find rather disturbing. Yeah. So uh, you may remember from our episode on the Manson murders that actually what a helter skelter is, is a kind of carnival ride where you have a sort of upside down ice cream cone shaped structure with a slide wrapping around the outside and you climb up to the top and then you stop and you turn and you go for a ride and you get to the bottom where you see someone again. And <laughs> uh, indeed, recently there has have been a number of news stories about 
a helter skelter being built in a church in England, a uh, Church of England church. Yes. And we'll have a link to that in Mysterious Headlines, so you can check that out for yourself. Yes, there was also another church that had a miniature golf course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's right. the silly season, as they say. Yes, yes. Uh, Christy Nichols on YouTube writes, I wanted to let you know how very important this podcast is and how I've been using it in our family. It is incredibly important, I think, to build a strong and consistent home church where we practice on a daily basis that which we learned in Mass on Sunday. I have two adolescent boys. I suppose you'd call them preteens. We love listening to this podcast together because it can teach them how to think something through rationally using both sides of the argument without taking a polarizing or tribalist approach. They're growing up in a culture that has lost the talent for discourse, and listening to you thoroughly and empathetically explain both sides of an issue has really helped them when they are thinking through things in their daily life. I've heard them say things using your phrasing. I've heard them think through things in the order that you have modeled. You're helping me teach them how to handle tough topics and not have the Twitter mentality, where all of their opinions are in 120 characters or less. I'm so grateful for you and for this podcast. This helps us to build the home church because it is cognitive structure that they will have for the rest of their lives as they explore problems, first trying to get a true and representative understanding of them, and then asking, what does our faith have to say about this? Thank you, Christy. This is one of the, this has to be one of my most favorite bits of listener feedback of all time to know that it's uh, helping your family in this way. I really try, you know, to be sympathetic and understanding for all the different perspectives we cover and to treat them fairly and balancedly, but also arrive at conclusions when possible. And so it sounds like your boys really get what we're trying to do on the show. And that really warms my heart. Thank you so much. Yes. Excellent. Uh, and I agree. I, I'm glad my children are, are listening and learning this as well. All right. So, Jimmy, what do we have for Mysterious Headlines this week? The first one is a link to the article that Tammy sent. It's one of several about the Helter Skelter in a United Kingdom cathedral. So it has, and it has a video. Also, in August, Russia sent a humanoid robot or um, actually, I believe it was August, but Russia sends a humanoid robot into space. And it seems to be us at present, even though it, it has arms and legs and is in an anthropoid form, it's they're not letting it take on a lot of responsibility just yet. It's serving <laughs> apparently as in a kind of a test mode as a sort of space Alexa, but it's designed to be able to do things for humans. It can operate either on its own using its artificial intelligence or it can go into avatar mode where a human can control its motions animatronically uh, at a distance. And what so they're could, starting. Yeah. What, what could possibly could go wrong? Go wrong? <laughs> yeah. uh, apparently they've limited its freedom of mobility so that it can't like accidentally smash a hole in the, in the, in, in the ship. Of course. But they've got it like sitting in the pilot's chair to go up. Also, six, a link to a story about 16 Spanish children develop werewolf syndrome due to a pharmacy error. Mm. The children were supposed to receive a drug called omeprazole, which is an acid reflux thing. People take it for heartburn. In fact, I've taken it, you know, for heartburn. But the compounding pharmacy that mixed it up mixed it up with a different drug called oh. minoxidil, which is what oh, yeah. which is a baldness cure. And so these kids who didn't have baldness suddenly started growing all kinds of hair. And I, I don't 
think when I've taken omeprazole, it's ever gotten mixed up with medoxidil, but it, I am pretty hairy, just not on the top of my head. <laughs> um, but anyway, you want to, uh, if you want, you can read about these 16 Spanish children developing werewolf syndrome. Fortunately, <laughs> you know, it, it, it stop taking the drug. Everything's fine. All right. So uh, in a second, we'll talk about what our next episode is going to be about. But first, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Dean S., Brent W., Richard V., Katie T., and Lisa S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So, Jimmy, what's our next episode going to be about? Our next episode is going to be a follow-up to an episode we did a few months ago on the apparition at Fatima, Portugal. And here, here we're coming up on the October anniversary of the final Fatima apparition. And so we're going to be talking about the third secret of Fatima. Excellent. And also, folks, keep an eye on your, uh, your feed, because before we get to that, we have a special uh, extra episode coming up in a few days that is uh, from our Patreon questions. Uh, patrons to the show get to ask Jimmy their questions, and we, he answers them, and we give them a special episode. Uh, and then a few months later, uh, you get to hear it, but uh, they get an advanced listen to it uh, at the time of the recording. So if you have become a if you're not a patron yet, this is your chance to get more, uh, you know, your own questions uh, answered. So uh, thank you, uh, thank you to our patrons for that. So that's it from us. What did you think about the evidence about the Betty and Barney Hill UFO ev- uh, incident and in all the 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 two shows that we did? Uh, let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akins Mysterious World Facebook page. You can send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com or you can send a tweet to at mys underscore world with the hashtag of mysterious feedback. Folks, remember to like the episode where you see it on social media, like on our Facebook page or on Twitter to like it, retweet it, share it, let people know. Uh, that you've enjoyed it. We really do appreciate that. And you can find the links to all the resources from our discussion and links to those mysterious headlines on our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom. Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest. Quest.